Hello beautiful people, thank you so much as always for clicking on this podcast and this particular episode of Joe Blogs About Films. Whether you're a first time listener or a long time listener, all the same, it is greatly appreciated. And thank you for your constant, constant support. In this episode, it is another revisit. We are going to go back to the Monsterverse as I've tackled Godzilla, uh, the Godzilla King of the Monsters. Now I want to talk about Kong skull island released in march 2017 kong skull island really was a surprise hit and another great piece in laying the foundation for legendary's monsterverse really um the film was the second to be released in that latest universe and i think it really helps with making the monsterverse as successful as it has now become with its wonderful action and display of monsters that are situated on skull island but for me It was just overall such a visually pleasing film, like a very pretty looking film with gorgeous colour that added to the film's strengths. That the film was actually nominated for an Oscar uh, for the best visual effects, which I fully agree with that nomination. As honestly, some of the creatures and designs and just all round look of the island was really, really impressive. It had a budget of $185 million and gross $566.7 million. So very, very impressive. And, and for Legendary, again, this was just another tick to be like, yep, let's continue this path and get Godzilla and Kong eventually on screen together. It, it just really was a remarkable, remarkable release, I felt. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the film and I'm looking forward to just uh, as I say going on to talk about it in this revisit and I hope if you're a fan of the actual Monsterverse and Kong this and that that you too enjoy this podcast love to have a chat as well what your thoughts on the Monsterverse are where it's going because obviously recently we've had the announcement as well of the next Godzilla and Kong film Godzilla x Kong the new empire or something like that which it was funny because when I started making notes for this episode that teaser trailer got announced which really amped up my suspense and hype for this new film, because I really did enjoy Godzilla vs. Kong. I thought it was just a nice little fun action kaiju flick, and I'm all for some more of it. So very interested to see what happens with that. But again, let me know your thoughts as well. Are you looking forward to Godzilla and Kong together on the screen once again? Before we do dive any further, obviously, in the, the podcast is available on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, as to rss.com. All that jazz, jump onto Facebook and the socials, give us a like and a follow, search Joe Blogs About Films, only on Instagram and Facebook, that is. Hit notification on Spotify, leave us a review. You know what to do. Thank you, though, for your constant support. Let's get back to Kong Skull Island, because the film did go through a few changes over the years. Um, Originally, when Kong was still under the Universal Pictures license, it was going to be an origin story, and it was going to be tied to the Peter Jackson film, which itself is such a great and remarkable piece of cinema, let's be honest. But I'm glad that we got something different to that world. As overall, like I said, I love them both, but I really do rate Skull Island. Um, and originally, Jackson had handpicked Adam Wingard to direct what was going to be the origin story, but ultimately Wingard had to depart the project. But that wasn't the end for his involvement, because in the MonsterVerse, he did eventually come back and directed Godzilla vs. Kong. So nice to have things come full circle and I thought Adam Wingard did a really good job with Godzilla vs Kong and as two looking forward to what he does with the next one but the film was officially announced at 2014's Comic Con and from what I remember at the time it was just a big surprise like I remember keeping up to date with Comic Con that year and this just kind of coming out completely from nowhere completely left field but again very excited for it especially hearing that it was going to be linked to Godzilla but it was one that no one really knew when they entered that hall to, to see whatever trailer was going to appear. 
just what was going to be presented. And, and, and I believe the footage was very minor. I did try and like scour for some more details of it, but from what I remember of memory, I believe it just ended with a shot of, of Kong basically roaring at the camera as the camera tracked like across the islands kind of thing. And again, like I say, I'm pulling what I can possibly remember from that time, but it caused a huge reaction and excitement for this release from fans around the world, myself included, as already stated, especially like this this aspect of it being tied with the MonsterVerse and that Monarch would be involved. I, I, I couldn't get enough of it, if I'm being honest. And, and I was counting down for this release. I was still waiting for the Godzilla sequel, but this was like a nice step into the direction of whenever the next Godzilla film would be. So really, really was excited for it. And there was also this really cool poster that they gave to some lucky fans out there, which was like a map of Skull Island. However, when you put a UV light on it, if you held over the, the poster, it revealed our first look at the Skull Crawlers. So again, the hype was increasing. You can actually go and check out that poster as well on um, yeah on, on YouTube, this and that. So make sure you do give that a uh, a quick look. But the film obviously was directed by Jordan Vogt Roberts. I forgot his name before when I was talking about the MonsterVerse, which was terrible. But it was really great because he took heavy inspiration from the likes of like Apocalypse Now from 1979. Also The Host, which is a really great film as well. Do check that out. And also Platoon having massive inspiration that worked with the film's favour, you know. Like, in addition, the film had very strong influence from video games that Jordan Vogt Roberts played back in his childhood. And again, this is why the movie contains so many, like, point-of-view shots of guns being fired, like first-person shooting games, which I really love within the film. I think they're a great touch. And also there's, like, a shot of a helicopter making a 360-degree spin towards the ground, which is inspired by a similar scene, I believe, from a Resident Evil game. So there, there's all the ties there, and I think the approach and decision to have the film like set around the time of the Vietnam War was a very smart decision. It's, and As audiences haven't ever really seen a monster movie set around that particular time. There's a lot to play there, play with there, sorry, like in terms of different characters, especially like between the scientists of Monarch and the soldiers on the back of this war. So there's a lot there here for a great dynamic and great friction and tension within the human characters there. And I think also, unlike Godzilla King of the Monsters, this does have a great blend of human characters and monsters, you know? Like, I I, I think it's, a, in addition to that, a really good story that captures your imagination and really puts you in this setting of an uncharted island, almost a lost world, and it opens all up for you, and that you feel that you're actually there, obviously through the eyes of these characters. And another reason, <laughs> of many reasons, that I really enjoy this film, as I did with the 2014's Godzilla, is that it's not like futuristic here. Obviously, it's set within the Vietnam War as opposed to, you know, present day on then moving forward into the future like the Godzilla films and such have done. And it's just that thing again of that because this film obviously sets it then, even though we're dealing with kaiju monsters, this and that, like big scaled monsters, it still does feel very grounded. And by the time Godzilla 2 and Godzilla vs. Kong, understandably, like the stories I've just stated there, obviously progressed to a place where technology has advanced to such an extent that it almost does border on the unbelievable. But then we're talking about films that in involve giant lizards and monkeys, so I, I, can't, I can't get too bogged down into the whole like futuristic y science -y kind of stuff that happens, obviously, within the, 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 the later Godzilla and Godzilla vs. Kong films. But anywho, that's just my thoughts on it. But in addition to this very grounded approach, something else that really worked for me with the film, as it did too with the critics and fans, was that it wasn't just a rehash 
of having this Beauty and the Beast approach that we have seen time and time again in Kong films. This was a brand new approach, new setting, new theme and backdrop, whilst also remaining faithful to the character of Kong. There was no need for any of the like kind of damsel in distress approach that Kong films, you know, like to have and have that feel. But I personally think that the change in having that right balance of action and character development and depth really made it more of a success in my eyes. I think that's why a lot of people, you know, can kind of connect with these characters within the film throughout the film. Like alongside Kong for this outing, we have some great actors in this film, including Samuel L. Jackson, John Goodman, Brie Larson, Toby Kebbell, Corey Hawkins, and John C. Riley, just to name a few. I was actually quite surprised with some of the names that were attached, if I'm being honest, but delightful at the same time as, as felt that it really was a nice mix in there to really create conflict and struggle within the characters whilst they were stuck on this island. I found every action and motive from all involved extremely believable within the film and every action decision that a character made was fitting with who they were that we you know we'll, we'll get more to characters shortly but it really did work like everyone on, on screen for me was so believable in in the circumstance that they find themselves in now the film obviously takes place in 1973 and in the final days of the vietnam war secretive organization monarch secures government funding to lead an expedition to a recently discovered island in search of new species and oh ho ho do they find them? Now, aside from the monsters and characters that are included, obviously that we will be coming to, to discuss in, in a short while, I think that Skull Island itself is probably one of the most integral characters of the film. I, I, I guess that's really obvious stating that when the film is called Skull Island, but I just really love how the film explores and dives into this island and just how how it's never been discovered and pretty much hidden to the rest of the world surrounding it is this storm cloud. I guess that you could say that is a slad tight convenience, but hey, I'm more than happy to let things like that slide in this kind of film because they just run with it. And it does make sense when you think about how technology was continuously being developed and so the solar scans maybe you know won't have necessarily picked it up until now. But once it is discovered and our characters enter the island, the scale of the island is so huge and rich with vibrant colours that you just can't help but fall in love with it and all of the imagery that you see. Now, the film used a lot of beautiful locations within Vietnam, like all the scenes with mountains, rivers and grassy fields were mostly shot there, including Ninh Binh and, and Quang Binh. Again, apologies if I'm mispronouncing those places, but Jordan Vogt Roberts and the cast members said that they were the most beautiful places that they have ever been to. In addition to Vietnam, filming also took place in Hawaii as well as Australia, specifically the Gold Coast and Queensland within Australia. All of these locations, again, just captured and created the perfect Skull Island and made it incredibly gorgeous to look at. Like, the different landscape and surroundings that our characters find themselves in are just really beautiful. And I've already said how this film is really and very pretty to look at. There are just some really great imagery, like little things such as the sequence where the characters stumble upon a swamp-like area where they encounter this moose-slash-mammoth-looking monster thing that's just in its habitat, having a nice time. No need for any extra tidbits of action here or anything, just appreciating the nature on this island was really, really great. Like, seeing all these different monsters and insects or whatever just in their habitat was just, just quite, like, overwhelming, but in such a 
glorious way, like in all of its positive form is what I'm getting at. I think the film does really well in bringing us to these new surroundings and settings of Skull Island, but also, again, like I just stated there, bringing and including new species alongside it. For example, obviously, speaking of these species, there's the long bamboo-looking trees that then bring into play huge-legged spiders, which is just a really excellent sequence as well and showcasing some of those game inspirations that Vote Roberts had for the film or, or, for example, when Kong heads into the river to wash the wounds following the helicopter attacks at the start of the film that he's grabbed. You know, that huge squid is there underwater, just showing that there's danger and creatures at every corner. And again, building this alien world up for us and, you know, for us audience members. In addition to all of this, we also see the ancient civilization that worshipped Kong and where John C. Riley's character has been residing for so many years. There's just so much scope and scale and, and different pockets to this island that really do feel that, like, every little nook and cranny has been thought about behind the scenes. And just whilst we're talking about the Iwi natives, Brie Larson also doubles as one of the natives. In this sequence, she uh, greets the survivors as, as I, think, I think it's with a spear in the back. But once you know this, it's very easy to spot her. Once you know that she's one of the natives, wherever she is, I, I, I wish I could pinpoint, but you'll, you'll know her when you see her. Like, oh, there she is. So it's just stuff like that. You can tell that everyone's had a really great time making this film, you know, behind the scenes as well, because I'd imagine it was such a joy, like especially to see some of these places and to create... Skull Island must have been absolutely marvellous, really. But jumping into the film itself and more so like the story and script, we should say, um, I thought it was really brilliant to have the introduction of this film having two pilots fall onto the island during World War Two. Obviously, one being a young Hank Marlowe, which is John C. Riley later in the film, and quick shout to the opening with the distributor logo has been accompanied by the sound of Spitfire engines as well as gunfire whilst the camera sweeps through the clouds, like really, really great and effective. But just back to the pilots landing, at first it just seems like this, you know, it's any other beach, you know, that they've landed on. But the further the two characters fight and run through the woods, the more dangerous it gets. And of course we get the first shot of Kong on the cliff front as he examines just what is occurring on his island, you know, and straight away this gives enough to understand that Kong is king here. You know, he's heard a scuffle, it's on his island, and so understandably, Kong will want to know what's what and who's causing the ruckus, you know? Like, Kong isn't just going to go all out and attack, but more so just let them know who's in charge in these parts, who's in charge of these neck of the woods. And I love the shot of one of the soldiers' eye up close as we see Kong roaring and the camera zooms in before displaying the wonderful title card. Just a brilliant introduction to the film, really excellent. Now, originally the movie was meant to be three hours long, or at least over three hours long. However, it was cut down to about one hour and 58 minutes or something like that. Now, elements of the movie's extended plot that didn't make it into the final cut can be found in the movie's novelization. Like this opening, for example, with Marlowe and Dakari was one of the sequences that would have been longer and extended, which could have been, you know, pretty cool to see. In fairness, it's a wonderful introduction to the film, but hey, I'll take more of it. The other cut sequence involved uh, James Conrad, that's Tom Hiddleston's character. He encounters like a giant snake. And as someone who has an unnatural phobia of snakes... I'm glad that was cut. <laughs> like, that's fine. But the movie features the tallest incarnation of Kong 
in any American movie, standing at approximately 104 feet, that's 32 metres. Now, Peter Jackson's Kong by comparison was only 25 feet, 7.6 metres tall. The tallest incarnation of Kong overall was one featured in Godzilla vs. Kong from 1962. I think that stood around 147 feet, which would be about 45 metres tall. However, it is stated in the film that Kong is still growing. That's in Skull Island, that is. He is still growing, which explains why... He is as big as he is in the next chapter, that being Godzilla versus Kong, because he is massive in Godzilla versus Kong. And I really do like, speaking of the design, like I love the design and creation of Kong for this film. Like the team went for something new, but also familiar. They wanted to use the 1933 design of Kong as like the blueprint and then work from there, which that is the best approach in my eyes. Like Vote Robert stated that they created something that to some degree served as a throwback to the inspiration for what started all of this, but then also had it you know, be fully unique and different creature. There are modern elements to him, but hopefully that it feels very timeless at the same time. And I think that they got everything right with the design. I'm not, I literally thought it looked very, very good. You know, the classic and almost cartoony features of Kong are all there, but at the same time, it's the perfect fit for this story. So they did such a bang-up job with the actual design, but the personality of Kong was intentionally designed to have him similar to a teenager orphaned early and forced to assume adult responsibilities, you know, being not yet fully grown but left to fend for themselves. Director Jordan Vogt Roberts wants to give the audience insight to Kong's state of mind of him being a lonely and exhausted god lumbering around the island, being its protector but also killing time as he drags himself from place to place. Now, Terry Notary played Kong as a lonely, burdened 14-year-old that's trapped in the life of an adult who's coming into himself and his role as a protector, driven to uphold his sense of duty by the burden of the loss of his family. And I feel this really does... This is captured within this Kong. Like, he's got the weight of the world pretty much on him with protecting the creatures and the natural order of the island. You get a clear feel for that emotional baggage, particularly in the moment, in that beautiful moment between Kong and Brie Larson's character, Miss, as she touches his hand that is being held out. Like, this is something that is continued in Kong's story as well when we find him again in Godzilla, in Godzilla vs. Kong and his relationship with the young girl, Gia. There's a sadness surrounding Kong as well as a ferocity that makes him terrifying when he wants to be. And all of this is through a character that doesn't speak. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's a kaiju at the end of the day. We're able to emote with him. So a massive tick as well for the film to be able to do that with that kind of character, you know? Like, again really deserves applause for that. Now, I have briefly mentioned the cast members of the film, obviously prior and previous in this podcast, and unlike Godzilla, King of the Monsters, this film does have a good batch of characters that are actually tolerable to watch, and, and each present a clear motive for their actions you know, and what they believe in within this world. This is also why I enjoyed watching the film. It's a good batch of misfits all coming together, which at time creates great conflict, and separate teams then unfold and unravel within Skull Island. You know, within the first 15 minutes of the film, we already established the core characters and just who they are and what they can bring. We have the scientist aspect of the group being John Goodman and Corey Hawkins, which... I absolutely love the quirkiness of Goodman's character, but also his back and forth with Richard Jenkins at the start, as it's clear that Monarch and Goodman's work with Monarch at this moment, they're not taken seriously at all. Even compared to people hunting for aliens, Goodman has a great way with words and always manages to keep people guessing and keeping them on their toes. And like we see time and time again, 
where he clearly knows more than he's letting on, but doesn't want to like anything whatsoever jeopardizing the chance of discovering Skull Island and the creatures that reside there. I was pretty good when Goodman's character does ultimately meet his demise within the film, but it made sense for it, I guess, like a kind of how it goes within these stories. You know, the one who knows everything, the one that's right about everything, always snuffs it, like just like Cranston in Godzilla, exact same fate, you know. So, hey, I'm fine with all of that. It's just what seems to happen. But the outfit worn by John Goodman's character, Bill Rander, replicates the outfit worn by Robert Armstrong as Carl Denham in King Kong from 1933. Nice little touch there. Also joining the team is Tom Hiddleston, who plays James Conrad, who is an ex-British Special Air Service captain who served in the Vietnam War with the Australian Special Air Force Regiment. He's hired as a hunter-tracker for the expedition, and his introduction is gorgeously lit with some neon blues and pink. Like, Hiddleston, he looks gorgeous. He's, everyone looks gorgeous, but in particular, Hiddleston looks gorgeous in this opening when we when we do first meet him between John Goodman and um, Corey Hawkins. It is great stuff. Now, Hiddleston described the character as a man who holds no political allegiance in the conflict, but understands the conflict, and further stating that he's a former soldier who has been formed by understanding of war but his specific skill set is something that is attached to the power of nature. And that nicely brings me to Brie Larson's character in this, as they are both very similar. Larson plays Mason Weaver, who's an anti-war photographer and an investigative photojournalist. Now, Larson stated her character has her own sort of motive for joining the expedition. Larson continues to say that the best thing about this film is that you get to see so many different views in regards to nature and how we should handle it, but also just how things are dealt with from many different perspectives, and that a character has an interest and respect for nature, and though she has a closer, more loving and intimate relationship with Kong, she respects the island, as does Hiddleston's Conrad, but not everyone feels the same towards Kong and the island. It's really nice to see a lot of reactions and perspectives via Mason Weaver's camera roll as well within the film. Like, the film utilises this to very good effect in many circumstances, you know, Kong's attack, when they first encounter the tribe, as well as leaving the tribe, all really effective within the use of the POV camera. And we get a real feel for Brie Larson's character and just how she feels. I th- I, like I've said before, we get we know and understand how everyone feels in this film about Skull Island, about Kong, about whoever. So, like, everything is just easily consumable and believable at the same time. I'll come to more characters in a second, but following on from the respect of nature, it's prominent that there is a split between those who do respect and those who don't. The way that they just drop bombs, or rather these seismic explosives on the island to map out the island is a very intimidating and forceful approach, and one that Kong will not stand for. And it's a decision, I think, that was an easy one for them to make, as they don't really care about the damage that this is going to cause. Much like nowadays, and the big wigs' attitude towards nature itself. I think Sam Jackson's character is the prime example of this, as he does not care about how he does it, but once he sees Kong take down his men, he will stop at nothing to destroy Kong. Like, nothing else matters. Jackson plays Preston Packard, the United States Army Lieutenant Colonel and Sky Devils Helicopter Squadron Leader, assigned to be the expedition's military escort. Now, Jackson also compared his character to Captain Ahab from Moby Dick, stating that he does have to exact some measure of revenge for the people he's lost. That's just the nature of how we operate, eye for an eye kind of thing. Now, Packard doesn't care how he achieves his goal, just that... He does so, which is dangerous in its own right. 
Like Packard clearly is unstable in the back of the Vietnam War as well when we first meet him in this film, you know, like he's still reeling from the fact that the war was abandoned and such. And him being on Skull Island is just another war that he's now got to fight. He pretty much loses himself within this war. Like even when everyone is against him, he doesn't stop until it ultimately does end up costing his life and worst, the lives of the men that he's forced them to join in on the fight. It's it's a great it's a great story for for everyone, but in particular, I, I do enjoy watching Jackson portray this character that's really got a lot of inner struggle, but a lot of like real hard will as well. Like he's determined to take down Kong regardless of the cost. Now I'm not going to focus too much on the platoon, but they all bring something to the film. And again, I don't, and they don't feel like extras just for the sake of it. Like I enjoy the banter and the different ranges of fear or concern that some of them have that others don't. The most recognizable of this bad batch is Toby Kebble, who I really enjoyed seeing him on screen, in particular this film. Like you might be familiar with him from Black Mirror or that god awful Fantastic Four reboot where he played Doctor Doom. But for me, Dead Man's Shoes is a classic and a fantastic film that he starred in alongside Paddy Considine. And in Kong, he has a likability about him and allows the audience to care if he gets out, which he doesn't, with these constant open letters to his son, Billy, always saying, Dear Billy, followed by a statement or whatever. Like, it is sad that he doesn't make it out, but again, just shows and amplifies the terror of Skull Island that there is always something out to eat something, you know? Like, the last character I will give a direct shout to is John C. Riley playing Hank Marlowe. Like, we know from earlier parts of this episode and, and, and from earlier of the film as well that he was part of the U.S. Army Air Force that ended up stranded on Skull Island for nearly 29 years as something ridiculous, obviously, since World War Two. Now, J John C. Riley really portrays this slightly unhinged but knowledgeable person that has had to live on this island for so long. Like, he knows it's so much better than anyone else and is able to aid the heroes on their quest to escape. Like, he knows the island's creatures and, like, he's a friend of the Iwi natives. A very likeable and charming character with a dash of eccentricity that the film definitely needs and utilises very well with him. Like, he's almost like... I think he's described in the film, someone says, you're like a time traveller, being that he's so far out of touch with everything due to being so isolated. Now, that's the best description for his character now there are a lot of excellent moments within the film like i praise a lot of it already but some of the scenes in this film are up there as my favorites of the entire monsterverse jordan vote roberts packs in so much entertainment and one thing that i really love is that the pacing is absolutely dead on like unlike the other monsterverse this one doesn't have any fat or padding. It's just non-stop entertainment, which is something that not every MonsterVerse I've stated has done or has had. I'm hoping they can kind of crack on and, and you know get that right balance again, but nothing so far as, as like touch what Kong Skull Island did with making it flow super, super well. I absolutely love the sequence where Sam Jackson is talking about the story of Icarus whilst the team are flying through the storm cloud in the first instance. Just shows how calm he is under pressure and also how he leads his team to keep on top of their emotions and make them feel as safe as they can be while also giving them a bit of a um like a great pep talk you know it's a wonderful sequence that is paid off beautifully once they break through the storm cloud and see the island in all its gorgeous glory 
like the this followed on by the whole sequence of Kong's first appearance is absolutely brilliant. It's quite breathtaking as well. Like from the use of the silhouettes of the beast against the orange sky and sun to handheld footage from Brie Larson, as well as this excellent use of quick and slow speed as the camera spins and tracks around Kong. It is all perfect for his arrival. Fabulous work as well with the music of Ozzy Osbourne cutting out into silence as a tree is flung into the chopper, revealing the arrival of a very, very angry Kong. Like some lovely close-up shots of like loose bullets as well beforehand and such, or just slow-mo shots of the choppers from above or, you know, of above or below as the team arrive on the island like oh my goodness chef's case really really beautiful to look at we learn as well that on the island there are these creatures called skull crawlers which i think are very excellently designed they only have like two feet and a long snout as well as like a tail that they use as a weapon they look evil they are fast and agile and they're able to give kong a pretty good challenge even like in Kong's life, they've killed off his parents, which also brings me nicely to probably my absolute favourite sequence, which is where the team arrive to the burial grounds where the bones of Kong's ancestors lie. It is absolutely gorgeous. Like the use of the green smoke from the toxic gas, as well as the slow-mo effects as Hiddleston chops down flying creatures is just excellent to watch like i I, we get a pov shot in there again like like i said before about these inspiration of games and such but super super good i also love the use of the camera that john goodman's character has you know just before he's eaten obviously swallowed whole that the camera is still flashing inside inside the stomach of the skull crawler just making that atmosphere and tension you know amplifying as we can hear the sound of the flash and at times see the flash but we don't know where the skull crawler will appear from next. Like it is very cleverly done. And the final battle as well with Kong and the big bad skull crawler, it is just grand. The intensity is upped with the scale getting bigger and Kong using whatever he can to kill the beast, you know, relying on an anchor to slice and dice. Like Kong always, always is able to use the surroundings to his advantage. We see it time and time again in the MonsterVerse. We've seen it, say, in Godzilla vs. Kong and such, where he will just make do with what he can find. Like, there is some wonderful... The final shot, I will say, that is absolutely glorious as well, is the the shot of Sam Jackson from the back, um, you know, as he's standing in front of the fire, as the camera tracks up from his feet, before then cutting this evil-looking, smiling face, thinking that he's defeated Kong, only for Kong to then appear from the flames and take down his men just before then Kong collapses. Like, it's an all very intense standoff as well, as Packard wants to make sure that, that, that Kong is dead, but Conrad and co. want to save Kong again, showing that friction between those who are fighting for nature and people that are fighting against it. You know, it's so excellently done. It's really, really perfect. And just again, like, I know I've kind of fleeted from here to there with the actual action and some of the favourite sequences, but... Everything just really looks marvellous, Sib, especially for that final battle as well. Like, yeah, granted, there's a few shots where you can tell that the actors are acting in front of nothing, you know, except being on location. And then obviously, like, kind of reacting to something that's not there. Like, there are times when that happens. Like, I'm not saying this is an absolute perfect film. It's just that you can't help but appreciate just how beautifully visually it actually does look because it is so, so pleasing. I think it's lovely as well that at the end of the film that John C. Riley does 
make it back. Like that's how the film ends with the credits and such. Like we get the the classic MonsterVerse opening credits with the great like text being blanked out, this and that, which I'm always a big fan of and something that gets me so excited for the next MonsterVerse film. It's wonderful. But I think it's great as well that John C. Riley's character does have a happy ending. You know, if anyone deserves it out of everyone in this film, it's his character. You know, he's been through absolute hell for 29 years or whatever. He's been been stuck on Skull Island. And it's just really lovely because there's obviously there's there's no talking or anything, there's no dialogue, but we get to see like other sounds, maybe the TV and such, but the music that's playing when he first gets home and sees his wife, who's absolutely shocked beyond, you know, as you can imagine, to see him standing in the doorway, introducing him as well to his son. It's, it's quite hard not to get teary watching it. It's beautiful. And then, you know, John C. Riley had gone before saying that when he first sees Tom Hiddleston's character and Brie Larson and co, when they first meet him, he says, you're as beautiful as a cold soda or cold beer and a hot dog watching the baseball and such. And that's exactly what he does in the final sequence that we see him as the credits roll. And it's really lovely to bring that round. And then finally, obviously, we get the post-credits sting where... Just it sets us up excitedly for what's to come with these other monsters in the MonsterVerse. This was before, obviously, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, and this was our first glimpse of Ghidorah, of Rodan, of Mothra, being obviously cave paintings, but just really had me excited anyways. I thought it was great, and to end with Godzilla's Raw, ah, it was wonderful. I, it would have been nice in the grand scheme to... I know they, they um, had... Corey Hawkins' character come back as an older version in Godzilla, um, but it would have been nice to try and maybe incorporated like Tom Hiddleston's character or Brie Larson. I'd love to know what they got up to next. It'd be cool to maybe do... And the thing is, if you did a Kong sequel, it'd be then you'd be trying to like fit in the blanks that sometimes you don't really need to. But it would have been cool to see more of Tom Hiddleston and Brie Larson. But as like a one-time thing, uh, they were really great in this film. All the performers in this film I thought were excellent, the actors and such, and it just was a wonderful, wonderful addition to the MonsterVerse and one that I um, I really do love revisiting. I love rewatching. When I rewatched it again recently, I just fell straight back in love with it again. Like I say, it's mainly the colour and just the, the, the visuals of this film. The cinematography is absolutely astounding, and I can see why it did so well at the box office. As I say, you know, it earned so much more money than the actual budget itself, as I stated earlier. But the fans as well were quite impressed with it as two critics. And it's so easy to see. So easy to see. So I'm going to leave it at that, really. Because I do dig Skull Island out of 10. I'm going to give this uh, I'll give this an 8. Like, I, I definitely a 7, half, 8. I think it's very well, very well put together. You know, Jason Vogt-Roberts did an absolute cracking job, you know. Not only something new and refreshing, but familiar, as I've stated there, with the Kong world, but also by incorporating those many influences as well of favourite films or favourite games and such. It only added to the film's strengths and made it such an enjoyable watch, such a really, really excellent watch. And one that my wife was very, very impressed with. I think she was more of a fan of this one than I was when we came out. She was, again, banging on about how much, how beautiful it looked, the film itself. Anyways, I'm going to leave it there. Let me know your thoughts on Kong Skull Island. Obviously, now that that's done, we've got Godzilla vs. Kong to revisit, and then the MonsterVerse is up to date, so it's looking good, eh? But I'd love to know your thoughts on, obviously, not only this episode, but any episodes that you do check out. I do really appreciate your support, honestly. It means the absolute world. As always, thank you so much for listening. Keep in touch with the socials, all that jazz. But until the next episode, take care.